This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, Miami Hurricanes fans? We're back with another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake recording today with Gabby Rutia to recap the recent spring game after watching it again. Um, so hopefully going to take a little bit of a deeper dive compared to the instant reaction podcast that we put up uh, immediately after the spring game. Wanted to just make a little programming note here. Um, moving forward, uh, Christopher Stock has let me know that he no longer wants to do the podcast. So we are going to keep it rolling with Gabby. Um, Gabby, uh, glad to have you on. Glad to, glad to keep this thing going with you. How's it going today, man? Man, it's, 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 everything's going great. I'm honestly, I'm honestly honored to be just, you know, doing this with you, David. Uh, You know, this is a podcast I've been listening to for a long time, you know, before my time here at 24 seven. So, you know, I have a ton of respect for, for what it is and, uh, you know, what it has the potential to be and what it, you know, what it just means in the community. So, um, you know, I, I'm excited to, to take this thing to a different level, you know, with our, with our own little mix, our own little spice while we kind of build our chemistry in this, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm all in, I'm ready to go and I'm having a great day. So ready to get this thing rolling. Yeah, man. We'll just, we'll have fun with it. And, uh, you know, like you said, we'll, we'll build a nice little chemistry and keep it rolling. But, uh, you know, I think for this podcast, Gabby, I think the best way to do it is um, we'll just we'll just each bring up topics that we want to discuss, right? That that we noticed maybe from the rewatch that we didn't really pick up on maybe live while the game was happening, right? So I think in this first half of the podcast, I'll let you bring three topics or takeaways that that you think that you found interesting after watching it again. We'll take a commercial break. And then we'll have a conversation around three topics that that I found interesting uh, from the rewatch. So let's get this thing started, Gabby, and uh, I'll give you the honors, man. Where do you want to go with this thing? Yeah, I, this is something I, I honestly, I, I guess I noticed it right off the bat, but I think it's something I definitely wanted to touch on. And without just like going directly to the quarterback play and all that stuff, like, man, I, I was impressed by, you know, what some of the early enrollees were able to do, you know, in this kind of setting. I think it was a I think it was an opportunity for some of those guys to you know, with, with 16 players out, I think it was a chance for a lot of those guys to, you know, get on the field maybe more than they might have if, uh, you know, everyone were to be healthy. So, you know, I mean, I thought obviously, you know, Jake Garcia, I thought he looked really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it showed the importance of, you know, I know you've said it a bunch on here, David, like the importance of landing a quarterback, like, you know, you can have a good class, but you don't, you don't have that quarterback. Uh, I think you really saw that come into like fruition with the performance of Jake Garcia and how essential that kind of is. But, you know, then I thought, you know, Camp Kitchens had a had a really big day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had a, he had a couple tag. I think he had like five tackles. He had an interception. 
then you got Chase Smith, who actually led the team in tackles with seven tackles. I thought he was, yeah. I think you really saw the intrigue of why they're kind of doing what they are on the recruiting trail. And by that, I mean, like, you know, you kind of see how they're kind of going at the length, they're going at the versatility, uh, you know, guys that can kind of do multiple things. And I think with Chase Smith, you kind of saw that athleticism as a, a former mm-hmm. wide receiver, a guy that Lincoln Riley kind of wanted to kind of like, you kind of saw him flash those types of things. So, um, you know, I, I was really impressed by, by the way, some of the, the way that those guys, and then Andres Borgales just not looking like a freshman at all. Yes. Like just really just like being ready for the moment, being ready, you know, not kind of folding under the pressure of being Jose Borgales' younger brother and kind of walking into a situation where he's kind of, you know, supposed to, you know, perform after a Lou Groza award winner that just so happens to be in his bloodline. You know, I just feel like you just saw some like coldness out of him where you can kind of see that, you know, Miami's kicking is going to be in a good place for the foreseeable future. So, I mean, I'm excited about those guys. And then it kind of made me excited for, you know, the rest of the freshmen that are still kind of not on campus yet. Those four guys definitely popped. You know, you mentioned Andres Borgales. To me, he looks like a future Groza award winner, right? Like that's crazy to say, but you know, his ball striking it's elite. Like it is noticeable. And, you know, I'm not some kicking expert, not going to pretend to be, but it's, it's just different when the ball comes off his foot. And if he has the mental side on point, which we have no reason, you know, to believe otherwise, uh, Miami's kicking game this year is going to be elite. Once again, when, when you, uh, factor in Lou Headley returns as punter. So, uh, you know, we touched on this a little bit in the, in the instant reaction pod, but, Miami fan base learned in 2018 and 2019 just how important the kicking game can be, how it can decide games. I think in 2021, it's once again going to be on point. You mentioned Chase Smith. I mean, yeah, seeing him in person, the guy, the guy looks like an NFL body type and he runs like an NFL talent too. Um, You know, there's still, still a ways for him to go in terms of, uh, you know, understanding all the intricacies of, of how he fits in on the defense, but his ability to run and chase and uh, his length and coverage was noticeable. You know, I, there's definitely valid concerns about the linebacker level in 2021, but I think in 2022 and beyond, you know, factoring chase Smith will probably be in the mix. Then you got to feel like it's in good shape there. Yeah, absolutely. Now I would definitely agree that the next thing I would probably want to bring up is, you know, I saw a lot of like Miami's kind of top players returning kicks and punts. You know, I don't know if, again, I don't know if that's something that you guys talked about, but mm-hmm. like just seeing Tyreek Stevenson back there, uh, you know, Charleston Rambo back there, Mike Harley, Jalen Knighton, like, you know, I, I know Manny Diaz has spoken about it multiple times. I know he's, that's something that he's talked about how like, you know, he wants to get some of his best players on special teams. And that's something he actually talked about in the press conference after was just about, or maybe, maybe it was after, maybe it was this week. Um, no, it was definitely was after that, you know, special teams all around are probably going to be better because of all the guys returning and all that stuff. And I think it's interesting that we're seeing a Tyreek Stevenson back there returning punts or, you know, a Charleston Rambo. And I just think that, uh, you know, I feel like that was something that obviously hurt Miami at times last year with, you mm-hmm. know, kind of not never fi- really figuring out who the guy was going to be. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, giving your best players the opportunity to get back. I feel like that's who Miami was at like their peak, right? Like it was the top yes. guys returning kicks. It was, it was all the best players playing special teams, the top freshmen playing special teams and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, that was something that kind of 
kind of brought me back to that where like, it's just like, all right, we're not going to put some fast shifty guy out there. We're like, we're going to get a guy that's going to be a dude that's going to take this seriously. And that wants to make a play. And I think that, uh, you know, just Miami kind of going that direction with it was something that was just kind of just like, you know, looking back at it and kind of just taking like, uh, just really, I guess, bringing it in rather than like, you know, just seeing it for what it was in that first, that first time around. Uh, and that, that was just something that was just kind of, you know, it kind of popped to me just because uh, I think that could be a difference, you know, when you're playing a, a few big games, especially early on this year, like, you know, who's going to be returning against Alabama? Uh, you know, are we going to have a guy that's going to be shaky back there? Or are we going to have one of the top guys out there that uh, has been there before, been in that setting before and can make a, a play out of it? So I think that's something that might be a little underrated. I guess that kind of maybe I noticed, but didn't really like kind of completely digest the first time around. Tell me this. Do you like if you were going to pick your top kick returner and top punt returner, who would you go with? Cause I, I'm not saying I'm against it, but I probably would not go with Tyreek Stevenson at punt return. And then, you know, like Mike Harley and Charleston Rambo at kick return. That probably wouldn't be my choices. Do, do you, do you have a pushback on those three guys being the top returners or do you, do you like other guys in those roles? Yeah, um, with the punt return and Tyreek Stevenson, I mean, I guess I don't really know because I feel like we haven't really actually seen him do it in a game setting. So I'm not really sure, like, maybe I'm okay with, like, someone of that, like a player of that caliber returning punt sure. or kicks. You know, like like we saw it at Alabama, like Devonta Smith was like their punt returner, right? Like, right. you know, they're not afraid to throw a Heisman Trophy winner out there. You know, if he's their best player, who regardless of who it is, they want their guys out there. Um, so maybe I would have to see a little bit more from uh, Tyreek Stevenson before I would uh, maybe make that call. But on the kick return, yeah, I would say maybe I wouldn't. I would I would probably push back on like you know having Mike Harley, Charleston Rambo back there. I would like to see a Jalen Knighton yeah, really emerge back. there. I, yeah, I would like to see one of those guys. You know, shift your guy that's going to be able to like you know make the cuts and all that type of stuff and kind of do what they're trained to do. Um, you know, with the way we kind of see Xavier Restrepo doing and, you know, just what we've heard about him and what like he was able to do at Deerfield and at St. Thomas Point, I would like to see maybe him kind of get another crack at it now that he's an older guy, now that he's, you know, he has a little bit more football under him and maybe he won't have as much of the jitters as maybe he had last year when he kind of got his shot. Um, so that's another guy that I might might not mind seeing back there. But um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see why. I know. like the idea of Tyreek at punt returner. I'm just not sold on it. Like, I do think there's a chance like from a body type wise and from like a, like a big, fast, strong, uh, you know, viewpoint, there are similarities there in their body types and speed and strength. Uh, he, he, he has similarities to KJ Osborne in some ways. Uh, but, but to me, what, what made KJ Osborne so effective in a, as a punt returner, was he was so good at like timing how to catch the ball almost on the run. So he would, he would catch the ball and he'd already be kind of yeah. on his third stride and that momentum would help him pick up, you know, 15 yards, which is big in, in a punt return. You know, that's essentially a first down and a half. Yeah. So does Tyreek have that feel? We'll see. But yeah, in terms of like a thick, sturdy, strong, fast guy that could do it, I'm intrigued. I, I just want to, like you kind of said, like you hinted at, I, I need to see it before I kind of believe it. Yeah. What else do you want to touch on? Hmm. Honestly, the last thing I, I, I noticed, uh, not the last thing, but just something else I kind of wanted to touch on. Um, man, I thought Jalen Rivers looked really good at left guard. 
Mm-hmm. I, I know that I know that Garen Justice has talked about him at length, you know, just throughout the, you know, I feel like since he's really been on campus, he's talked about how, you know, he might be like the most talented offensive lineman. I know that's something I texted you during the game, but just mm-hmm. even watching back and just like, you know, getting a chance to just like kind of observe, observe him and just the offensive line a little bit more. Uh, you know, I just, I'm really excited about, you know, what he can do in the run game. I'm excited about, you know, what he could potentially do at that left guard spot. And, you know, this is a veteran offensive line that has, you know, Ja'Kai, even a Ja'Kai Clark, like, you know, a guy that's played a lot of ball here at Miami. But, you know, I think you kind of want a guy like Jalen Rivers to really take that next step and just kind of be the guy that everyone kind of says he, he, he can be. And, uh, you know, I think he's on the right track to, you know, being a guy that Miami that could potentially be starting for the next, you know, his redshirt freshman year through whenever it is that he decides to go to the NFL. Like, I think he could potentially lock up that that left guard spot. And I think that would really solidify the entire left side of the line. Right. Cause I feel like, you know, yeah. Zion Nelson's really come a long way since we saw him against Florida in the, in the 2019 opener. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, he's kind of become just a rock solid guy, like a dependable left tackle. And then just to kind of have, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Jalen Rivers locked that up there. We just, from a talent standpoint, I just think that that would be huge for the offensive line. And I'm excited. I'm honestly just excited about the unit. I thought that they looked really good at times and, you know, I think that that could potentially be a strength when two years ago we were talking about like, man, imagine what this offense could do with an offensive line that could protect. Like, I think this might be one of the most, one of the strongest offensive line units as a whole that we've seen at Miami for, for a while. And I don't know if you'd push back on that, David, but I think that just with the veteran presence and all that stuff, and I know everyone's returning guys and I know a lot of people have experience returning, but uh, I think Miami has a lot like more experience returning than most on some graphics that I've seen and all that stuff. I'm not exactly like how much percentage of guys that have played or whatever it is or production but i know it's a it's it's a lot and i think a lot of it's coming on that offensive line so i think you know i think everyone in the fan base right we all see it like jalen rivers is going to be the guy eventually right probably eventually this year do you expect to see it game one against alabama though yeah that's that that's what would be tough i mean I know Alabama, it's hard to say Alabama loses anything. Like I know they lose that interior defensive line. I can't remember Barmore or whatever. Um, like they always have dudes again. Are we going to think is I feel like Alabama can't even really be, I know they kind of have to be the measuring stick and I know you have to play them, but like, I feel like when I'm thinking about in terms of just like the development of a guy like Jalen rivers, like, I feel like just kind of thinking about what they're, what anyone is going to do against Alabama is almost like, it's not unfair like because obviously it's a college football team, but it's just like, you know, Alabama has been beating everyone that they play. You saw what they did against Ohio state. Like you can probably make the same argument. Like is Ohio state's left guard ready for whatever Alabama is going to throw at them because most teams in the country, or maybe all teams in the country aren't always ready for what Alabama is going to do. So um, I mean, maybe not against Alabama, but you know, against app state against Michigan state and moving forward, like, you know, I feel like Jalen rivers could eventually, really find himself just throughout his, you know, second year on campus and all that stuff and potentially be a guy that could be reliable. And that that's kind of the way I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm not even looking at Alabama just because of what they've been able to do in the sport over the last 15 years and who just who they really are at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's just how I'm looking at it when I'm just, yeah. I guess. I'm looking this. at it more so like, you know, like Jalen to me clearly is, is better than, than Ja'Kai Clark as a guard. Um, but Jakai has over 20 starts in his career, right? So, and most coaches are conservative when, uh, when it comes to making changes in the starting lineup. So I'm curious if, if they will have the, 
I don't know if guts are the right word, but if they will, if they will look to make that move game one, I mean, it's going to upset Ja'Kai Clark if, if that move is made. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see, cause I do think that you need a big, strong offensive line when you face a team like Alabama, Jalen rivers obviously would help in that regard, sticking it, sticking on the offensive line. Just some other things that, that, uh, I noticed, I thought John Campbell honestly looked pretty good at, yeah, at, at left tackle. Um, it's going to be really important for Miami to keep these guys on board because John Campbell, I think could go and start left or right tackle, uh, at a ton of different programs around the country. Um, probably not going to happen at Miami in 2021, but if you able to, if you're able to convince him to stick around, continue to be developed at Miami, uh, there's going to be, you know, assuming Zion Nelson, I guess John Campbell could go to right tackle in a scenario too, but he's, he's definitely developing nicely and, and he looked good to me. Um, I want, I want your take too on the right tackle spot, Gabby, who, who do you prefer Jared Williams? Who was, he would, he did not participate. I, I, it's hard to spot guys uh, during this time because guys are wearing masks on the sideline. They're not wearing their Jersey, but I'm 99% sure I spotted Jared Williams on the sideline. I didn't have any like brace or anything like that. Nothing noticeable that indicated an injury. Um, honestly, he looked thicker in a good way compared to, to how we saw him last year. Um, but you know, it, it appears that there's going to be a, a battle there at right tackle between Jared Williams and DJ Scaife. I thought DJ played pretty well too in the spring game and, um, Garen justice is kind of hinted at that DJ probably would start if a game was played today. Um, but against Alabama, who would you prefer to see there at right tackle? Yeah, I mean, that's tough just because, I mean, I feel like DJ's kind of been at that guard spot for a while now. And again, like just to throw him out there against Alabama first game, because I think it's different when, you know, you're scrimmaging, you're practicing well and all that stuff, and then you kind of have to go out there and do it. Um, man, that's that's tough. Uh, I mean, Jared Williams obviously has a ton of experience. I mean, he's a seventh-year guy. He's played a lot of football. But, I mean, I think – from a talent standpoint, I mean, I think you'd probably, I think you can probably make the argument that DJ Scape is just like the overall, just like more talented lineman. And um, so, I mean, I'd probably lean that way. Um, but I, man, I, I think that's just an, I think that's a really interesting battle. Like, like what you mentioned, like, you know, I don't know how much John Campbell, regardless of how good he looked is really a competition with Zion, with Zion Nelson. Um, but that right tackle spot is going to be, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, hopefully Jared Williams is healthy enough to actually like, you know, make it a competition. But if DJ were to, were the guy kind of trotting out there with the, with the offense in, in Atlanta, honestly, I probably, I wouldn't be too worried about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like not, I wouldn't be like, oh man, like it's DJ, not Jared. Like, I, I just think that, you know, it's, if that, if that's kind of how it shakes up, we haven't had practice. So, you know, we haven't been able to watch practice. So we haven't been able to just see like, oh, like this is and like to like, I don't know, I guess create like our own opinion about it. But, um, I mean, if that's kind of how it's shaking out, I'm honestly cool with it. Like, I think I'd be, I'd be, think I'd be all right with DJ Scape kind of being our right tackle over Jared Williams. All right, let's let's take a quick break, Gabby here, and uh, on the other side, we will jump into some of the things I want to talk about after we watch in the spring game. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale. Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, we're back. And uh, Gabby, I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit here and okay. uh, talk about Jake Garcia, yeah. right? Um, obviously kind of a, a performance where you could argue a star was born, right? Um, let's, just, let's just get your, your thoughts on it first because I got a lot of stuff I want to touch on here with Jake. Um, what, what would you say is like the biggest thing that impressed you about the way he performed in that spring game? Honestly, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things that kind of stood out to me were, I, I feel like you kind of saw a difference in like his temperament and just like kind of like his, his body language, everything when he kind of got a chance to run with the first team offense. I feel like the first, the first drive that you threw him out there, you kind of saw that, you know, like, yeah, this is a freshman. And then you kind of put him around like the guys that would actually be like, you know, that are going to be running with the offense that are going to be doing the big things in this offense. And I feel like you kind of saw, that's when you kind of saw him take a step up. And kind of be like, you know, okay, this is a chance for me to show that, you know, I can run with these guys. And like, honestly, I just got kind of got the vibe that he's just like a gamer, you know, that like, you know, maybe just throughout camp, maybe Tyler Van Dyke has been the one, but then you kind of put him into these settings and, you know, he just shines. Like, it's just like his chance to just kind of come out and just kind of play his own game. And I thought that was, that was one of the things that really just surprised, like not, maybe not surprised me the most, but that I kind of noticed. And then just kind of the way he kind of managed the pocket, just kind of the way he moved mm-hmm. around, the way he kind of climbed the pocket, all that stuff. I just saw, you saw that he's, that he's a quarterback, you know, like he's, he is like, he's not a, he's not a thrower or anything like that. Like he, this is a guy that understands the position and, you know, while he's still raw and, you know, he might still have a ways to go. And, you know, as, in terms of his development, he understands the position. And I understand, I think he, I, there was one play that he just kind of like, he like in a real setting, he would have taken a hit. But he kind of stood there. He kind of waited that extra second and just kind of yeah. climbed a little bit. And then he just threw a dart. I can't remember against like who exactly it was at, but it was just one of those plays where I was like, man, like that kid, like he, that kid was ready to take a blow right there. You know, that kid would have taken a blow right there uh, to make that throw. And, uh, you know, that was something that just kind of showed, it just showed me a lot about him and uh, just kind of who he is and all that stuff. So those are, those were a few things that, that just stood out to me about his performance and, and all that. Yeah. I think that pocket presence point, is kind of what it's all about, to be honest, because um, that's pretty rare for an early enrollee freshman to already have that presence, that awareness of of how to operate within the pocket, Um, the way he climbs the pocket, again, for being an early enrollee is extremely rare. You touched on it, his willingness to stick in there uh, when, you know, there's a bunch of stuff happening around his feet with, with defensive linemen on the ground and all that still being able to make the throws. 
in the you know while playing within the chaos. That's what separates Jake Garcia as an early enrollee from from other players at the same stage of their careers. Um, you know, I am I am a college football nerd and dork, and so <laughs> I watched a bunch of other spring games over the weekend, right? And really, there was only one uh, kind of freshman that that looked the part, like Jake Garcia, and that was Ohio State's Kyle McCord. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for for those that aren't aware, Jake Garcia completed 19 of 25 passes for 255 yards and two touchdowns. Right. Excellent numbers by any standard whether it's an early enrollee freshman or a senior, right? Those are great numbers. Um, here, here's a look at some of the other early en- enrollee freshmen that were uh, in action over the weekend and what their numbers were. So again, Ohio State's Kyle McCord in the same ballpark. He, he impressed as well. He, had, he showed pretty good pocket presence in his game. He went 12 of 17 for 184 yards and one touchdown. So Again, good performance. Uh, but then you start looking at other guys. And, and look, I'm not saying this is anything bad. It's just, it's a developmental um, position. And it takes time for most guys. The special ones, though, can step in and produce right away. So USC's Miller Moss went 7 of 13 for 34 yards with one interception and one fumble. USC's Jackson Dart went seven of 13 for 99 yards with one touchdown and one interception. Uh, Georgia's Brock Vandegriff was six of nine for 47 yards. Um, You know, he kind of was a guy that was flushing early from the pocket, constantly running around just because he doesn't have that pocket presence yet. Um, Auburn's Demetrius Davis was two of three for 48 yards. LSU's Garrett Nussmeyer was 15 of 25 for 132 yards with one touchdown and three interceptions. So, you know, you stack Jake's performance against these other top guys that are in his same recruiting class, and it kind of amplifies even more just how special his performance was. Um, I think if you look at it historically, too, it can be a nice little indication of what might be coming down the road. Uh, you know, I, on our board, uh, Gabby, someone compared Jake to Sam Howell, which I kind of, I can kind of see that as a thrower, right. In terms of being a confident guy, who's willing to push the ball downfield, um, North Carolina, Sam Howell in, in his, in his first spring as an early enrollee freshman, Sam Howell went 10 of 16 for 131 yards. So he put up good numbers too. Jameis Winston, FSU's Jameis Winston, his first spring was as a redshirt freshman, uh, but he kind of had a breakout performance in his spring game as a redshirt freshman. He went 12 of 15 for 205 yards with two touchdowns. Um, And then, you know, from a Miami perspective, I thought it was interesting. I went back and looked at Brad Kaya's numbers. He was a rising sophomore for his first spring, right? So he went 14 of 28 for 139 yards with one touchdown and three interceptions. Wow. So, you know, all this is to say Garcia's performance, you know, by spring football standards, which, you know, is up to you how much, uh, how yeah. much you want to put into that. Right. But his, his performance was 
intriguing. Let's just say that. Um, and, and honestly too, Tyler Van Dyke, his numbers stack up well too. 12 of 17, 102 yards with one touchdown. Mark Pope, of course, had that big drop, which, you know, Van Dyke's numbers probably would have been even better if Mark Pope reeled that in. Um, and Jake might have had Jake's numbers might have been better, too, if D. Wiggins was able to finish that that long one, too. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, after that drive. So Jake still led the team down uh, for a touchdown right on that yeah. drive. Um, but the, the cameras caught Jake after that touchdown drive. They caught him going out and seeking out D Wiggins and, yeah. and going to him and being like, Hey, I, I got you, you know, shake off that drop. I'm coming back to you, you know? And that's the type of special leadership stuff that, that big time quarterbacks have. Um, you know, I thought it was cool too, how Jake's first throw is basically like a cover two hole shot. And, uh, he just ripped it. Like he, yeah, he, it was, he it sailed on him. It was, it was too high. But he uh, he came in and was looking to push the ball downfield. It's also pretty obvious that Jake is an RPO master, right? Like he is his ball handling with the RPO and his ability to know where to go with the football while operating the RPO is definitely going to frustrate defenses in the future. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to put Jake's numbers and performance in perspective. Um, you know, within context of how he performed compared to the other quarterbacks in his class. And then, you know, some guys that we know about, you know, Sam Howell, Jameis Winston, Brad Kaya, how they performed in their first springs and kind of how Garcia stacks up. But uh, yeah, Garcia to me is a special guy. I think we saw that. I think Van Dyke is very, very good too. Um, And this thing is by no means over this competition. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all battles out. Um, but if Jake continues to push himself, I think Miami could potentially have a special starting quarterback here in 2022. Anything else you want to add on Jake? No, I mean, I think you nailed everything. I just, I'm sitting here thinking like, man, like I can't believe that this is like the state of the Miami quarterback room. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. I feel like just a few years ago, we were just like, are we going to run out there with Malik Rozier? Or is it going to be Nicozy Perry or like, like what's going to happen here? And if it doesn't work and now we're just sitting here saying like, yeah, we know for a fact DR King is our starter, but Hey, we also know that Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke are both more than capable of potentially taking over the offense. If, if need be worst case scenario. And then the future of the quarterback room just looks even brighter. Cause you have another four star guy like Ja'Curry Brown coming in. So yeah. I mean, I, you, you say all that to just to say like, you know, like, I feel like Miami's in good hands at the quarterback position and Manny Diaz has kind of mentioned that already too. So, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking about that. Like that, that's awesome. It is crazy how quickly it's flipped, but, uh, you know, credit goes to Manny and also, you know, Rhett Lashley too, for, for kind of recruiting that position pretty well. Um, the next point I want to bring up is kind of more like big picture, uh, you know, sticking with the offense, uh, just kind of a big picture, thoughts on the offense in general, right? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty clear, Gabby, that college football is moving towards a game that's determined uh, by teams that can outscore the opponent, right? Defense is kind of situational or just trying to slow teams down, trying to force field goals, trying to get turnovers, that kind of stuff. You're not going to limit teams to 13 points pretty much week after week after week. So you got to be able to score points. Um, 
you know, I think when we look back on last year's team, I think it's fair to say it was kind of just like a one man show. It was De'Aaron King carrying the offense. And, you know, if guys were, when guys did step up around him, you kind of saw the offense take off. But if guys kind of struggled around him, things sputtered a little bit. Now, it was still a step. It was still an improvement year over year from 2019. Uh, but they, there was kind of a ceiling that Miami kept bumping their heads against because the guys around Derek, you know, weren't necessarily playing at a, at a B level, let's say. Um, but I feel like, you know, obviously Miami's returning everyone on offense this year, except for Brevin Jordan. And so I think what I saw on Saturday at the spring game, I saw each position group kind of, I think it's going to take a step forward. Now, do I think there, there is special players on the offense outside of Derek King? I'm, I'm not quite willing to go there yet, but I do think it's improved. Like I do think the wide receiver play this year can go from like a C plus in 2020 to like a B in 2021, because I think Mike Harley ended last year with a lot of momentum. Charleston Rambo, I think is going to end up being a nice little addition. And then, you know, I think the younger receivers are going to push guys like D Wiggins and Mark Pope for playing time. I think that group is going to step up a little bit. The running back group, just being a year older, uh, it's a shame Don Chaney got hurt, but I think Jalen Knighton's going to step up. I think Cam Harris still has, has good value to him as a solid, dependable running back. I think that group can go from like a B minus to a B plus maybe. Um, maybe even better if Don Chaney is as good as we think he is. And then the offensive line, honestly, you know, I think they're going to make a, a significant jump, to be honest. I think last year they were kind of still like a C, like an average group. I think this group can go from a B minus to maybe even a B. I think the addition of, you know, a healthy Navon Donaldson has been huge. You touched on Jalen Rivers earlier. I think that's big. Zion Nelson continues to develop. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think this offense is going to take a jump. And I don't necessarily know if it's because of De'Aaron King this year. Um, I think you could make the argument that if the 2021 Hurricanes have the 2020 De'Aaron King, so essentially if a healthy De'Aaron King if we get last year's Derek King, but everyone else around Derek uh, takes a step forward, I don't see a reason why this offense can't push, you know, get close to that 40 points per game mark. Would you push I, back on that? I wouldn't. I was actually, that's actually exactly where I was going. I was like, you know, if the receivers get up to that B level and the running backs get up to say a minus offensive line improves, I don't remember exactly what the points per game were last year. I think it was like 34 around there. Was that 34? Yep. 34. So like, I was going to ask you, like, I mean, I think so. I mean, that's what it would mean, right? Like that would mean that, you know, obviously the uh, just better receiver play, better running back play, better offensive line play. Does that, does that give you an extra touchdown a game? And I I would argue, yeah. Like, I think that that, you know, that could potentially get you up there to, you know, that 40 point per game range. And you kind of see also what Rhett Lashley was able to do in year two at SMU yeah. and how the, how kind of how that offense kind of took a next step. I think it was like 42.8 points per, ga- uh, per game that they average. And of course, you know, it's, it's a different, you know, it's G five competition and all that stuff, but still like, 
I just think that like, you know, another year of Rhett Lashley, a full spring of Rhett, this Rhett Lashley offense and just the familiarity of, you know, the continuity of the offensive staff and just all that stuff. Uh, everyone takes that next step forward. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, with the playmakers that we do have. And like you said, you you don't have maybe that game breaking wide receiver, you know, Mike Harley at his best is, is really good, but still maybe not, you know, Belitnikov award, you know, finalist or anything like that. But I think you have a guy that, I, I just think you have a few guys there that, you know, if they were to take that next step, I think it would just elevate the entire offense. And you have three separate, you have all three units of the team, maybe of the offense taking the next step. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we get close to that 40 point per game range. If, you know, of course, yeah. this is a 38, 39, yeah, 38, yeah. something like that. So point with SMU, right. You're right. Like they took a big jump from year one to year two in year one of Rhett Lashley. It was 30 points per game there year two. It was uh, just under 42 points. So basically like a 12 points per game difference. Now there are reasons for that. They got a Shane Bichelle to transfer in, which definitely yeah. boosted that offense, but still that's a significant jump year one to year two. Also, you know, plays per game, uh, the tempo that SMU was playing at from year one of Rhett Lashley to year two uh, jumped from 73 plays in year one to, to 80 plays in year two. And, and I know that that is something Rhett wants to crank up here in 2021. Last year, Miami was averaging 75 plays per game. I think they want to be in that 80 play per game range. So, you know, if you're, if you're playing five, six more plays a game, that can be a drive. And that usually can equal points if your offense finds a rhythm. So, um, you know, I, I just feel like I've covered so many spring games, Gabby, I can't even tell you at this point. <laughs> And that was one of the cleanest offensive performances I've, I can remember from a spring game and they were missing a lot of key pieces, uh, you know, mainly obviously the quarterback, no tight ends. Um, normally Miami's offensive line in many, many, many springs is so bad that the first team offense can't even function because the offensive line play is so poor. Um, that wasn't the case on Saturday. Uh, I'm not here saying they're the best offensive line in the country, but I think it's a, it's a serviceable, you know, B minus B type of offensive line. And that's a big deal for Miami because it allows the quarterbacks to get the ball quickly to the guys around them. So, you know, I, I think, and also too, just the identity of this team needs to be offensive driven. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I think the defense can be solid. Um, but I don't think they can uh, necessarily totally count on the defense to win games. I think they need to uh, push the pedal to the metal and kind of use their offense as a defense, if that makes sense. You know, keep scoring on people and, uh, you know, allow the defense to get some key stops here and there. Um, so I'm excited to see how what type of jump did the offense makes in year two. Anything else you want to add on that point? No, I know. I mean, maybe the only thing is just like, that's like the recipe of college football these days. Right. It's like, right. you, you got to be able to score. Like you see Alabama in the title game, uh, you know, some, some years, 24 points would win you a national title. And, you know, in 20, in 2020, 24 points got you blown out by more points than you scored. So, I mean, I just think that like, you know, to people that maybe like still want to see the elite defense and still want to see that like you, the college football is an offensive sport. So being able to get close to that 40 point per game and, you know, the defense, Again, just getting those one or two big stops that that can be enough to win you a game. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't push back on that at all. 
So my last point, you know, I could go negative and bring up the linebacker play. Um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of, it's kind of obvious and everyone knows it, right? Like I think something needs to be done there. Um, you know, I want to like Corey flag. Um, and and at sometimes I do see it, but the consistency just needs to improve. Like, I feel like he's good 75% of the time, but then that other 25% is just kind of bad. And so he needs to clean that up. I don't know what they're going to do at weak side linebacker. I mean, I guess I'm intrigued by Keontre Smith a little bit, but you know, cause he plays fast and he does trigger, he does trigger quickly a little bit, but the size is a concern. Um, and, and you know, guys like BJ Jennings and Wayman Steed, they're good depth guys, but I don't know if I want them out there very much. If I'm being honest, you know, I think the bottom line to say with the linebacker group is just got to hit the portal. I think, um, yeah. So that's not really what I want to touch on, but just want to address it. Cause I know probably the fan base wants to hear our thoughts on linebacker, but kind of the, the thing I do want to get into though, is on the rewatch, I was very curious about what the defensive line looked like. Um, you know, were, were they being disruptive? And I will say on the rewatch, Deandre Johnson was better than I remembered, you know, live. Yeah. He, he flashed some nice burst at times. He played with pretty good bend. Um, on that first drive, he earned a holding call from, from Zion Nelson because mm-hmm. he essentially beat him, right? And, uh, you know, on the sack safety that he was able to get, uh, it was a solid get off. But really what, what allowed for that play to happen was the way he timed it. He timed that, uh, the snap very nicely which is something, you know, veteran guys can do. He, he's going to be a fifth year senior. And it was good to see that he has that savviness. So, you know, the defensive end spot, so important in this Manny Diaz defense, just being able to disrupt uh, the line of scrimmage. I was encouraged by what I saw from DeAndre on the rewatch. And, you know, I was, I'll be honest, like I was kind of skeptical about, you know, when Miami, took him on as a transfer back in January. I was kind of skeptical about what type of impact he would make um, just because the standard is high, right? At Miami. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely, I, I think he's going to be the top edge guy this year. I don't think it'll be close and I think he'll be productive. I think he'll be very good. You know, Manny Diaz's favorite stat. He was rolling out this spring uh, was that Miami has produced eight set a defensive end with at least eight sacks and every season of the Manny Diaz era. I think if, you know, Deandre Johnson plays 13 games this year, I think he can be the guy that kind of continues on that trend. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on Deandre or, or maybe even the defensive line as a whole, Gabby. Yeah. I mean, with Deandre, I think that I, I think just the fact that he kind of, opt off that way uh i think it's a little bit more encouraging just because like we learned he, he didn't participate a lot this spring right like he manny diaz was saying that he missed some time and all that stuff that he was kind of working his way back and all that and just for him to kind of just be able to kind of like pop in and and just kind of do that type of stuff i think that's encouraging and just about like you know who he could be once he's a full go and all that stuff um and then you know just with the defensive end position like i remember manny referred like manny is referring to it as like a cleanup hitter so i think like any like 
you know, while there might be be like, you know, doubts about the position, I just feel like the way that Miami kind of produces them and just how they, I, I just feel like they find a way to get the most out of guys at the position. Like, I know he was saying that, oh, like it was, how do we replace Trent Harris and how do we replace Joe Jackson and Chad right. Thomas and all these guys? And they kind of always had an answer. And it's always, it, it, sometimes I guess it's been the guy that maybe you didn't expect or it just wasn't the obvious answer. So, you know, I feel like this kind of, def- this defensive staff has kind of just kind of proved that they're going to get the most out of that position. Um, and it's kind of like, I'm kind of in the point where I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt at this point, because like, yeah. why shouldn't I, like maybe they, they haven't really given me a reason not to, you know, believe that they're going to get something like that out of that guy. And, you know, I feel like DeAndre Johnson's shown enough where it's just like, you can kind of see how, yeah, you know, in this scheme, maybe he could potentially be the guy that gets that eight sack point. Is he going to be, is he going to blow up like a Jalen Phillips and become a first rounder? Probably not. But can he be a guy that, you know, we can point to and say, Hey, on third downs and on third and long, like we can depend on this guy to go get after the quarterback or, and you know, any of these types of situations. So, you know, I'm not, you know, super pumped about the way the defensive line looks like as a whole, I guess, you know, I think that, uh, there's a lot of guys that are going to have to, you know, really step up. And, you know, I feel like they're, I feel like, you know, Jess Simpson is going to have to find a way to get the most out of some of these guys, but you know, as a guy with NFL experience, like a guy that's done it at the highest level and, you know, people have always raved about him as a teacher. So, you know, you kind of have to hang your hat on that and hope that, you know, he can get the most out of these guys. But, you know, I think that there's, there's some help on the way, you know, you're going to, you're going to throw a five-star into the mix. Yeah. That, you know, got to play him. Yeah. got, you know, I feel like he has, I feel like there's an opportunity just watching that game. I'm just kind of like, you know, I can kind of see an avenue for Leonard Taylor to eventually crack the rotation, you know, maybe not be a, a, a play a, a ton of snaps, but a guy that you can kind of mix in. And he can be a guy that can cause some disruption as well. So, you know, you have some elite talent coming on the way to kind of, you know, assist that a little bit and well, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, I think that that unit as a whole still kind of has a, still has another level that they could potentially tap into. Agreed. And, and, you know, on the other side of the defensive event, the other defensive end, you know, they're going to give Zach McLeod every opportunity to show what he can do. Um, But I think the hope would be, you know, long-term and probably at some point, like, I think it's fair to expect Zach McLeod to maybe start against Alabama. But I think at some point during the season, you would like to see Jafari Harvey no emerge doubt. as the starter over McLeod, right? So we keep saying it, Jafari, need you to come on, need you to start producing, need you to flash a little bit more. He certainly has a talent, just has to put it all together. It's also worth noting that obviously Nesta was out and, and you know, mm-hmm. getting him back in the lineup definitely a big deal in terms of disruption at the line of scrimmage. So that's kind of it for our quick thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, this little breakdown of the spring game. You know, we'll we'll talk recruiting moving forward. I I do want to say, you know, a little programming note here. We'll probably dial it down maybe to, to once a week on the podcast here with, with kind of a slower time. If there's, if there's opportunities for emergency podcasts, we'll obviously jump on those, but I would say moving forward, you know, between, you know, late April, May, expect maybe once a week, maybe we'll crank it up a little bit more with, with recruiting madness going to happen in June and July. Um, but yeah, it'll be fun. We're, we're just going to have fun with it, Gabby. Before I get you out of here, right. Um, I put up a poll on the website on Monday, I think. Just saying, you know, after watching the spring game, what what do you guys, what does the fan base expect uh, regular season win totals uh, to be for the Miami Hurricanes in 2021? So 
you know, the options were 12 wins, which would be undefeated 11, 10, nine, et cetera. Um, where do you stand on that? What are your expectations of regular season win totals for this team as it stands now? Um, I, I think I would go 10 wins. I think it's time that Miami kind of gets back to that double digit win mark. Um, you know, no Clemson on the schedule this year. You do have Alabama, um, but I think a lot of winnable games, you know, a lot of games that, you know, competitive games and stuff like that, but games you won last year. Uh, I think the only team that they're going to play this year that they didn't beat or haven't beat is a, uh, at least in the conference is going to be North Carolina. That's obviously going to be a big mm-hmm. one, but uh, you know, these are all games that they should win with, you know, a lot of returning experience, especially on the offensive side. So I think it's, I think it's time Miami hits that 10 win mark. Um, I guess they might have hit it last year if they would have played Georgia Tech at the end of the season, um, but who knows? Uh, but I mean, I think I, I just think it's time that Miami gets back ten wins. I think this is the year to do it. I agree. It's got to be a ten win team. Um, you know, I it, I look at it as there's kind of three there's three tricky games on the schedule as it stands now, in my opinion. Obviously, Alabama. If we're being real, that's probably going to be a tough one to win, uh, but. You know, that's why they play the games. You never know. Uh, then I think it's the, it's the two North Carolina games are, are going to be tough. And, and it's kind of, it's funny that they're back to back. So they get a, they get like two weeks to prepare for North Carolina almost. And then uh, next game on the schedule is NC state, who I think is kind of a sneaky sleeper, yeah, definitely good ACC Atlantic team. So uh, I think those three teams will, will kind of decide those three games will decide whether or not Miami reaches that 10 win mark. And, and if you get to 10 wins, who knows how it shakes out in terms of winning the coastal, obviously you'd be in the mix probably boils down to whether or not you beat North Carolina. Um, but yeah, this has got to be a 10 win team, um, return so much on offense. Defense is good enough. They've, they've kind of solidified some things there with the addition of Tyreek Stevenson, I think, and, uh, Deandre Johnson, who we talked about earlier. So, it's time. You're right. Time to time to take that jump. And uh, it'll be interesting to follow because if they do take that jump, the recruiting and stacking of talent is only going to get better. And, uh, you know, with Jake Garcia looking like he has star potential, that's exciting to think about. So it's a big year in terms of the trajectory of the Hurricanes program uh, with with trying to return back to national prominence. So as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, haven't asked you guys for a while, but if you don't mind giving us a five-star review on whatever platform you guys listen to your podcasts on, uh, subscribe. Uh, again, appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, thanks, Gabby, for jumping on with me, man. And uh, we'll talk next week, man. Absolutely. Let's do this again. Take care, man. A new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!